0: Welcome to the Airy Wellbeing Podcast, where we explore all things mental health, well-being and healing through the lens of our own experiences as Black people and children of Eritrean immigrants. Our goal is to normalize the mental health conversation in our community, empower and raise awareness so that you can better understand your mental health from a place of curiosity and compassion. We are your hosts. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Miki. And we're so happy that you're here with us. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Every Wellbeing podcast. I am Ruthie here from Team Every Wellbeing, We are coming back at you today with another episode of this podcast with a very special guest, and our guest for today is Nadia van der Sluis. Nadia is joining us from the Netherlands to share her personal story with mental health and her path to recovery and creating her own identity while living with a mental health diagnosis. Nadia has a really, really interesting story of triumph, courage, and mental health advocacy, We're very, very happy to have her here with us today. Um, I think her story is going to touch and help a lot of people. She's doing a lot of things in terms of like not just helping herself, but also helping others. And I I personally find that her story is really, really empowering. So very excited to share um, her story here today. So welcome to the podcast, Nadia. Thank you, Ruthie. And thank you for inviting me. I really feel honored we're super happy to have you here and like we were connected obviously through um one of my very good friends and who is your family member so sometimes things happen very naturally shout out to Dina um but yeah I think I think this is going to be a really important conversation and Mm personally um I am excited to learn more about it myself um so maybe we can kind of like back the tape up a little bit and like say like who who is Nadia tell us a little bit more about yeah. yourself
1: well um I'm Nadia I am from uh the Netherlands um original from Amsterdam but I live in The Hague at the moment um I am mixed Eritrean and Dutch and I'm 33 years old a Leo mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh yeah who is Nadia I'm a paralegal uh a volunteer. I'm a writer, a dancer, and really a music addict. And I have a bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my mother is a ritualist. She's from the tribe uh from Karen. And mm-hmm. my father is really a typical blonde Dutch guy from a little village in Holland called Uitmurn. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I live in the city of The Hague near to the beach, which I love. Um, I live there on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh um, And like I said, I work as a paralegal for twenty four hours to Uh, with the Ministry of Justice. I can't.
0: I can't hear you very well now. Nadia. Oh. Okay.
1: Uh, hello. No. That's, yeah, that's my turn. Yeah, oh.
0: That's, uh, yeah.
1: Okay. Um. Where was I? Well, I work as a paralegal for the Dutch Ministry of Justice, um, and then at the Immigration and Naturalization Services. Mm-hmm. And I work here for three years now, since I yeah, moved to The Hague. Okay. And
0: I know that you also, you have a passion
1: for a lot of
0: things, but you were saying you have a passion for dancing and like writing. You're definitely yeah. like a jack of all trades, like you wear a lot of hats.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's also like when I like something, I really have to do it the whole time. It's like a tick. Mm -hmm. So then uh, when I'm into dancing, I really want to do all kinds of stuff. Like in my free time, I love to dance together with my best friend, Mm Selina. And together we are called uh, Duo Down to Dance. We started it last year after she turned 18 and she graduated. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the reason we are down to dance is because Selena has Down syndrome. So we love to, yeah, because she's not able to speak well, we love to explore our emotions and feelings in dancing. So that's- and that's, uh, yeah, I've seen some of your videos on Down to Dance and we'll get into your more
0: like your your awareness and advocacy work in general because you advocate for a lot of communities and, mm-hmm. and it's also been part of your journey, but we'll, we'll kind of reconnect with that later on. But I definitely yeah. love videos they're very um inspirational and just like fun to watch so and we'll link them as well at the end yeah. but um tell us a yeah. little bit about like kind of where like when when and where did your mental health journey start
1: um i think it started well i was diagnosed with a bipolar disorder in 2009 mm-hmm. but i was After my diet, and it was happened with me uh, when I have an episode, so I was mental hospitalized. Mm -hmm. But I think my mental health journey started in 2015 when I had my first relapse. But because, like, in 2009, I was diagnosed, but I was really ashamed of it, and I didn't speak with people about it, and I was really, yeah, it was really not part of me because I didn't want it to be part of me. Right. So, um so I think it started in 2015 on my birthday. Um because yeah, that's the moment I really need to start out who I am now or who I was at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um uh because I didn't know how to handle a relapse. I didn't know which tools I had to use to get out of it. Um mm-hmm. because um yeah, I was, I was just, in 2015, I was just graduated from the university. I received my master's degree in criminal law. And it was really my dream to become a criminal lawyer, like, my whole life. From when I was little, I would say I was, like, obsessed with becoming a lawyer.
0: Right.
1: And uh, so after graduate, after my graduation, I started working at the law office as a paralegal. Um, and he said, like, after a half year, if you... Uh, if, yeah, if you've shown me you can be a lawyer, then we start the, the, the how you call it, the uh, traject to become a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I was really working hard, but, like, I was not able to work more than 18 hours because of my bipolar disorder, but I was, like, working more than 40 hours a week to prove myself. And, um, yeah, and I became hypomanic, and that's an, a period uh, when you're bipolar that you are really... Um, into everything you don't sleep well but that makes you hyper and and that turns that I became manic again so that I get voices in my head and that led to a depressive period of one year and a half and in that period of being in a depression I needed to find tools to get out of it and also to find out what will fit in my life like what which work will fit which job I can be able to do and with my health problems yeah so I think <clears throat> the journey yeah, started then
0: yeah I mean and I find it's an interesting journey from you were saying from your first diagnosis in 20 2009 to kind of where maybe in 2015 when you had that relapse it started with maybe with I did not know. There was there was like a second very big kind of uh, milestone within your mental health journey mm-hmm. in twenty fifteen. There's so, uh, a like there's six years in between that. Like what happened in those six years in between that?
1: Well, in those, <laughs> and that's also. Uh, I think that was also a lot of triggers happened in those six years because mm-hmm. um, my best friend passed away. Because years that ended uh, uh, Mm -hmm. suddenly uh, I um, yeah a lot of things happened a lot of people died around me like my uh, grandmother, my great-grandmother my grandfather, my cousin it's like a lot of things happened and I was blocking myself emotionally a lot always that's something I yeah because I'm a, a close person for myself so um, I think that was also the main trigger that I had a relapse because I didn't did anything with my emotions. I blocked them all the way. And I did You're that right. by doing a lot of things, like being a volunteer. Uh I, I did a lot of things during the time that my that I was I didn't want to grieve the past yeah, the, the death of my best friend. So uh I was writing articles for magazines, I was doing volunteer work for UNICEF, I was like all over the place.
0: Yeah. And you were, you were basically kind of like keeping yourself really busy to not feel your feelings and yeah. then in a way, you know, and, and then over time that led to another relapse, like you were saying in mm-hmm. 20, 2015, right? Yeah. So, so if we pause a little bit, like, um, say for somebody who doesn't know what a bi- bipolar mm-hmm. condition, is, what, what would you, what, what, would you like to tell them or educate them around what, what is a bipolar condition?
1: uh well it's it's um first of, yeah well you have it's like a manic depressive disorder, and you've got two types of it you've got bipolar one and bipolar two, and the difference is that when you have type one, you can get an episode like what I had, and that means mm-hmm. like you have voices in your head that gives you assignments, you get hallucinations, you get yeah, you think things are there which are really not there you uh. Um, like for example with my episode I thought I was Obama I thought I was Angelina Jolie I thought I was my little sister Um, losing reality when you are in an episode but Mm. um, what it is what people forget with a bipolar disorder is you have different kind of periods like you uh, I, I have a lot of hypomanics what I said that's when I all over the place and do a lot, uh, too much of everything. I'm too happy, I'm too productive, too positive. And it's dangerous because uh, when I'm hypomanic, I'm also too creative and too ambitious. And that that, mm. that are not symptoms, but that's something of my personality.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because um, um, when I'm hypomanic, I sleep like four, four hours, so three hours and I'm feeling really fit like normally you you have to feel tired after you don't sleep good but I feel like yeah I can run the marathon to say like that and mm-hmm. and I my confidence is really high and I'm I'm like on top of the world and I sometimes I even think I'm a celebrity and uh, it's it's like um, and I also spend a lot of money uh, like my relapse I, I bought a couch for 1300 euro I thought I was a millionaire <laughs> at that moment but then the other <laughs> side is like when you have a manic you can get into a manic episode and that's when you lose reality and, and 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 you start to hear voices in your head and hallucinate and um like last year I thought that the person on tv was giving me assignments to kill myself with a knife and I was at home and um and then the the mean side uh Well, I find the mean side of bipolar is the the depressive period because Mm -hmm. that's really the opposite of the hypomanic episode because you are at that moment really hating yourself the whole time you think you are not worth at all something. Like, you really feel like a failure and it's really hard to get out of this period because Mm -hmm. you just want to have rest. And yeah, well, when you have a death wish, you know, uh, that's why they say rest in peace because you know you would have rest on that moment. So it's really hard, the period, because you have suicidal thoughts a lot. And, um, yeah, you you have to fight the battle at that moment against your thoughts. Yeah, and thank you for explaining that. So it really sounds like a
0: really kind of like a paradox between these, like, moments of being like a very very high kind of like an energy when you're in this like manic stage and then followed by like crashing into a depression and they sound like very kind of like opposite states of being so it must be it must be very taxing on an individual to having
1: to to live between these two right yes Um, because I forgot you to say you also have the rapid cycling (laughs) and that is when you have both like both periods at the same time like one minute I'm very happy and I'm dancing and the other minute I'm crying and I'm losing it and and that's the I think that period the rapid cycling it's it's the hardest because it takes a lot of energy because you... and does the does the
0: rapid cycling hand happen during like a Uh, An episode, a manic episode, or is that something like that's more like day to day? It can happen anytime, even if you're in a good state.
1: Um, Well, I don't know how it is with others, but like because uh, what is also important to say with a bipolar disorder is you always have the atemic period that you are stable, like that you are normal and that you don't have the periods. But like with the rapid cycling, in my case um like i'm now in it because of my relapse last uh december um mm-hmm. i only have it a lot when yeah after a relapse but i i okay. i never had it really uh between that that's my experience okay. but um i know a lot of others they just have it like now a lot of them have it with the corona uh pandemic that they're in yeah. a rapid cycle, yeah. And it can be, I understand, like,
0: the triggers, and, I mean, I guess it's for anybody listening as well, it's it's just interesting kind of to hear more because I feel like like we've talked about mm-hmm. offline as well, for our community, right? But not everybody's going to have the same symptoms, not no. everybody's going to have the same, like, episodes, like you were saying, there's, like, you know, bipolar uh, condition one and two, it's different for everybody, but hopefully this can give... Um, somebody a little bit of a thought starter to yeah. if they're some of these symptoms or maybe in their family member or in general just to become more educated around mm-hmm. this because like i told you before we did this recording um i watched like this video which i'll link in the yeah. show notes it was a head ed education video on bipolar um condition because we use the word condition instead of disorder i also think it's a much more positive connotation uh, yeah. so it's a condition and it 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 touches the p pe- one two three percent of the world's population that's like millions of people yeah. so it you know it's likely that we'll come across somebody and because of what you said earlier as well like some of these it's it's a hard it's a hard um uh, illness to diagnose sometimes mm-hmm. right yeah so the more that you share i think it's going to help people but also the caveat is not everybody's going to have the same symptoms
1: right so yeah just- because um, it's a yeah. it's a personality disorder and it really is like the symptoms can be really uh, uh of course like if you if you google bipolar i will also say condition because i like it what like you said <laughs> but um <laughs> if you google it like if you look at the symptoms then it says um happy uh sad or you know like <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but everybody has their ups and downs. Everybody feels sad sometimes, and everybody feels happy sometimes. And it's just, right. uh, uh, it doesn't cover the what it is uh, when you look at the symptoms. Um, no, exactly, exactly. And
0: um, it, it's it's something I think where you know we can take in other people's experiences and yeah. information. Then kind of like you say, because it's a personality disorder, potentially also apply it to like who we are as people, mm-hmm. what applies to me, you know? So that's very important. And um, if we um I'm I'm a little bit interested in, and you can share as much as you feel mm-hmm. comfortable with this, but in terms of um, can you take us back to the moment when you started noticing that things were not like the some that something was wrong? Like where were you? What were some of the symptoms
1: you mean in 2015 or in 2000 maybe, maybe in 2009
0: as much as you're as much mm. as you feel comfortable sharing yeah.
1: yeah because i was then 22 and maybe it's good to sh- um it's it's good to um share that an episode is something everybody can get between their 18th and 22nd year when it's it's mm-hmm. like 3% of the young people can get an will get an episode between those ages so okay. um yeah i was 2009 i was 22 and um i was studying um law <laughs> but at the university mm-hmm. of applied science and in that year you have to do an internship i was in my last year so i mm-hmm. was doing a human rights minor and I choose to do an internship abroad uh, at an NGO. Um, I always wanted to go to Australia, to Melbourne, and uh, I thought it was my chance to um, go. So I was... Um, uh, I found uh, an uh, NGO named Project Respect, and it was uh, a support and referral service for women trafficking, for sexual exploitation. So uh, my internship was to write an... Um, Thesis, I think you call it, um, yeah, yeah. about um, about woman trafficking in Australia from Thailand and woman trafficking in Holland. Because I think you might know Amsterdam, the red light district. We are really a country who is open of sex workers. So um, yeah. I really want, but there's a lot of woman trafficking in Holland too, which you don't see alone okay. or no but mm-hmm. so that was um, but yeah the first week I arrived in Australia I didn't sleep well and I stayed at my uncle's place because he lives in Melbourne uh, the brother of my mother and mm-hmm. um, and like the second week I was um at my uncle's place uh, at night and I started to well probably I can say this afterwards at that moment I didn't realize it but I heard voices in my head telling me to go outside in the middle of the night. And, um, that turned out that I was having an episode. And, um, three days later I woke up tied up in a bed, in an isolation cell, uh, in the hospital of Melbourne. And I Mm -hmm. was missing for 48 hours. My family didn't know what, where I was because yeah, I, I, I left in the middle of the night and, um, I remember a lot of those of the night that I left because um, it's really weird. But I know, uh, like that I was ob that I thought I was Obama, and I remember that. But also because of the medical files, I asked for them, and I, I so I can read what happened. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. Yeah, and I was. Uh, tied up because I was suicidal, I was aggressive, I was really a danger to myself and to others and mm-hmm. um, yeah three days after my family found me my mother flew over from, from Holland and the doctors mm-hmm. first thought I was schizophrenic and mm-hmm. after that they diagnosed that I was bipolar and I had to be mentally hospitalized for five weeks Um Because during my episode, I really thought I was one of the doctors. And that come because I worked very long time at the nursery home before I left to Melbourne. So Mm -hmm. I thought I was one of them and I didn't need to be there. So I didn't took my medication. I put it under my tongue and then I went to the toilet and spit it out. And they didn't know it. They found out after three weeks that I was, well, my mother found out that I was doing that. So that's why it took so long yeah. for me to be hospitalized.
0: And then when you, were, yeah, okay. So th- thank you for explaining that. And I, th- I think that's, um, yeah, I'm just grateful to you that you're coming on here to share mm-hmm. this story because it's going to help a lot of people to also kind of maybe feel um, more comfortable to share their own stories. You yeah, know? I think it's very mm-hmm.
1: important to share your story. I, that's something I think uh, it's really important to do absolutely
0: Um, and um, did you notice any signs when you were younger or or did like your this this condition kind of just like totally surprise you or like creep up on you Mm -hmm. at that moment in Melbourne you if you think back to like your childhood because I have read a little bit about bipolar disorder that it can be hereditary but it's also not very clear Mm -hmm. right like it's
1: complicated even that statement in itself yes I found it really difficult but because I had therapy afterwards and like you know with therapy they always start at the beginning how was your childhood so I needed to tell about my childhood and then uh, uh, the memories came back of me as uh, um, yeah when I was a little girl I sometimes had uh, well I was fascinated with the death all the time when I was young but I was more fascinated about what the death was and uh, uh, uh and how it would be to be uh, to die and um like when I was really young, I think like maybe eleven or twelve, I really felt lonely and uh i i I wanted to cut myself with a razor blade, but that's what's only one time and i I spoke about it with my best friend Diana at that time is she's still my best friend but i never mm-hmm. like for the like my puberty i was not i cannot um remember anything of it that i was suicidal or like i was always a child who does a lot like i always was ambitious so from a young age i, I did a lot of dancing in musicals and but yeah i i i don't know if that has something to do with a bipolar condition or that is just me being an acti- yeah, a child who likes to do activities yeah
0: okay yeah and in terms of like getting a diagnosis so initially you were hospitalized in Australia and then obviously you came back to Holland and you got a second diagnosis what, what was the reason for getting a second diagnosis
1: uh, because I didn't want to believe it at first like mm-hmm. I was like because I thought yeah an episode okay but why bipolar I didn't know anything about bipolar and like uh the second diagnose was also because um because I was in therapy in Australia and then I came back in Holland but I was really on a high doses of medication so I needed mm-hmm. to stay in therapy because of the medication and then I said well then I I really want to make sure that the diagnosis in Australia was good before I go into therapy for something that might not be there and uh, so that's why I wanted to second diagnosis and also because I didn't right. believe it
0: yeah. yeah how how was it for the people around you like your parents your siblings like
1: yeah in mm-hmm. terms of
0: Because there's, you know, it happens to us, but I think it also happens to our families,
1: right? Yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard for them. Well, it was the main thing that was really hard for them. I think it's also a trauma is that I was missing for 48 hours and they didn't Mm. know what happened. And then they heard I was hospitalized and they, I think that the hardest thing they found is the distance because I was in Melbourne and they were, and Mm. yeah, it was all through the phone but i think um i think that was the first shock but after that my family yeah, how they respond was really really supportive my sisters and my father they called me every day almost in the hospital um, uh my mother and my uncle they visited me every day and they were like there were they were a lot and also the like in melbourne i really have a a lot of uh, Eritrean family from my mother's side and uh, they really organized a big barbecue after my release and 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 I stayed in melbourne for four months so i didn't went back directly to holland after my mentally hospitalized and they were there every weekend for me and and uh, really supported yeah well
0: that that's beautiful yeah. and i think you've talked about the how you know part of your healing has been uh kind of um... Uh, you know your network has been really helpful to you that you wanted to really anchor yourself in the support of your family and friends in your recovery right as opposed to you know uh, you know being hospitalized or medical services Mm -hmm. that you okay but I also have this and I do know like I have the fortune of actually knowing your family Mm -hmm. or parts of your family so I know that you have a very strong kind of close-knit family
1: right so I think um, it's very important because I'm a person who don't trust people a lot. And Mm -hmm. like uh, uh, the main thing that my mentally hospital in 2009 was that long is because I didn't trust the doctors. So I I'm like Mm -hmm. I was really against medication at that moment because I thought it was drugs from the government. That was really my vision. And like Mm -hmm. that's why I didn't take it because I didn't trust them, I didn't know who they were. So um, Mm -hmm. for that reason, uh, after three weeks, my mother came in the morning to give me the medication because I trusted her. And I'm still the Mm -hmm. same, I I need like when I'm, and it's normal I think that when you are very vulnerable, you need people around you who you trust, who know you. And for that reason, Mm -hmm. mentally hospitalizing is not for my healing, it's not right because I get aggressive very fast. And when I'm, when you put me in a hospital with strangers, yeah, it will not, it will not heal me. But when I'm surrounded with people who know me, who know how to help me and know how to give me love and and feed me by, uh, by their love, that's healing. And I think that is something that is really underestimated still in also in the mental health care how important it is to have the support of your family and friends by healing.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's really beautiful as well. Cause what you're saying is like, in terms of that, your, your mother then could act as a bridge between you and yeah. the medical services in terms of taking this very important medication that will like help you get better, but that you needed somebody that you trust to be like, Hey, it's okay, you can you can take this. And I think it's, um, it's, it's beautiful is something to emphasize, especially in our community, where we need to be talking about these things more, because a lot of people suffer in silence, you know, um, and a lot of people do, are, like, um, are afraid to talk to their family members, or even friends about this, but to be able to heal within community, whether it's the larger community, or your family or your friends, I think that's such an important point to highlight and an important point. To mm-hmm. even yeah, in.
1: because you need to ask yourself the question, what is it what makes you afraid? Is it that you are afraid that you get rejection from your parents or your mm-hmm. family or your friends? Because if, if, mm-hmm. if that's what you're afraid of, then you, you should uh, tell yourself that it's not reality. What you're, it's, what you're, it's, it's your thoughts. Of being afraid of it, and mm-hmm. it's it's your thoughts that you're a failure, but it's not reality. And then what I always do is when I'm depressed and I feel like I'm a failure, I uh, that's this is something my social worker taught me. It's like like I have it a lot with work that I think, oh, I didn't do my work well, and they're gonna fire me. And and then what I always do is okay, I look at my work, what my thoughts are, like I'm a failure, I didn't do it, and then I look to reality, and then I put it down like okay my well I work here already for three years and I'm now uh, I went from an undergraduate level to a higher level and I have a contract now so that's the same when you think your parents that when you think you will get rejected by your parents or they don't understand you then try to write it down for yourself before you speak with them
0: yeah yeah absolutely and 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 i for for sure it's about empowering yourself right and i think one thing that we talked about which i think is really worth like Mm -hmm. kind of like making the point is so you are eritrean but you're also dutch and uh, and the different experience of delivering that diagnosis to like both of your parents Mm -hmm. right and i think that's it's it's important to highlight because it's directly tied to like culture exposure like what we believe in and so on Excellent. so I think you shared with me that it was easier for you to talk to yep. your father about it be he's Dutch whereas for your mother it was more layered it was a little bit complex she's Eritrean I totally get it it would have been the same for like my parents or most people that listen to this or anybody who's like a, a person of color or a child of an immigrant because we don't have uh, enough experience with with mental mm. health right so can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah,
1: because well, I think I'm maybe lucky because my mother is really open minded and she mm-hmm. and and like we really have um um a bond, you say it like that. Like I know that I can tell my mother easily everything. Um mm-hmm. even if she doesn't understand it, she will try to understand it. And it took a while mm-hmm. for her also to understand what bipolar is because like in Eritrean culture, it's (laughs) like you you don't, it's not like the Western world, like, uh, well, uh, you've got bipolar, you've got borderline, you've got no, in in Eritrea, it's like, um, yeah, people will say you're mesquine or say you're crazy when you have voice in your head, but it's not something they know, like depression, it's not something they know, it's like, um, yeah, you are. Uh, in a return culture it's like you are you are there for each other right in hard times but you don't talk yep. about it like uh as yep. you see uh with with our culture is when somebody passes away like everybody the whole neighborhood comes to cry with you for days mm. and grief mm. but you don't talk about it and um, I think also in our culture, in the Eritrean culture, it's an unspoken rule to not talk with others about your problems. Um, um, yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> so true. That's like yeah, a and it's yeah. like you what what happens to you stays with you or within your family, within your um, how you call it, your parents and your sisters. And um, mm. but I think it's for me it helps me a lot the way of thinking like they do in Eritrea like like from yeah okay this happened to you okay not not that you don't have to uh, do something with your emotions but it helped me to to have the urge to prove myself like that I'm normal and because I had that um, urge to prove it I, I think I achieved a lot in my life because of that way of thinking and I also I found it. Um, it heals me that I don't have to talk about it the whole time with my family, because it doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm sick at that moment and I need support, and that's what they give me. And then, and, and you're, just to just to hone in on that, you mean that way of
0: thinking of kind of like, do you mean like kind of like, okay, we know what it is, let's get on with it. Yeah, kind of yeah, or it's like. like
1: what? Um, mm, how you say it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think top love. Because what I found in the Western world is that it's like talking, I think talking too much the whole time, that makes it that, uh, that's why I say bipolar is a part of me. It's not who I am. But I think when you are mm. cont- like talking the whole time about it, it will be you. Because you will be with it the whole time. And like I know for myself Mm. with my parents, like sometimes I talk with my mother about it if I really have to. But most of the time we talk about funny things. And like I go to therapy to talk with my therapist about it. Mm. I go, I talk with my social Mm. worker about it. I, You know, I've got my people around me, my help team to talk about that part of me. But to manage mm-hmm. to live with a bipolar disorder as a part of me, I'm not feeling to talk about it the whole time. And I think I'm lucky that that I yeah that that that's the way also with the origin culture. It's like yeah, okay, uh, the han you have it and now okay, just you know
0: yeah, yeah. exactly. the
1: han it let's I think mean,
0: that's that's so interesting and I'm really I'm really happy that you kind of. Because sometimes I think we have the tendency that when we talk about culture, we throw, like, the baby out Mm -hmm. with the bathwater by, like, being like, oh, you know, our culture is like this. It's very limiting, or it's this, or it's that. But there are actually nuances. Like, there are elements or aspects to our culture that can be, like, very positive and very, like, help us. And like you're saying here, this collectivist,
1: first of all, that people really come together. Because they're really supportive. And and it doesn't matter what I and that—that's what I found that nice. It doesn't matter what I have, even if I have bipolar, mm. even if my leg break, it doesn't matter. What matters is that I need support at that moment, and they are there. And that's the most important, I think. Yeah. And also, what I like about Eritrean culture is the simplicity. We are—they are really simple. <laughs> like, and mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. even uh, mm. after my relapse in 2015, I went to Eritrea with my mom to to stay at uh, the Dahlak Island for a week. And I slept in a tent Mm -hmm. and I meditate and I came to rest. And I really had, that was such a good way of healing. And and Mm -hmm, also being mm -hmm. like in Eritrea, being grateful for really small things. And that's something you don't have in the Western society a lot. And then going back to your own country where you can see like, Like then I ask myself, okay, what is it when I what what is it why I am depressed? Why am I a failure if you look around yourself and see how good life can be, comparing to others like in Eritrea, the people of my age. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: having access, like you're saying, like seeing the uh, the bright side of seeing, like I have access to a health team and. and, uh... So many things, but that, that I think that you need yeah. that perspective sometimes. It's so powerful that that your culture it's can provide like that extra nuance, perspective, and outside of just like the strong support mm-hmm. of your family members, it's the values uh, within the culture um, that's that's been helpful. And I loved what you said. You actually gave me the title for this podcast, uh, which is like, "I am not bipolar; bipolar is a yeah. part of me," and I think that's so important. For anybody that's listening to this, that has a
1: condition, that has a diagnosis, that mm-hmm. it and does not define it, you, you know, it's like, it's like yeah. a part of me, but yeah, I know how to deal with it. I know how to live with it. So yeah, of yeah. course, uh, sometimes are harder than other times, but, um, yeah, it's not, it's not Nadia at all. It's just a part yeah. of me. Yeah and that's so important to not over
0: identify yeah. to accept it integrate it to be open i think but also like to not over identify because i think like i don't think i think this applies to like so many things in general like i think we can over identify to so many different things and we make our persona about it but particularly when it comes to having a condition where you can potentially be of like harmful mm-hmm. to yourself you know in in this situation, like it's a lot, right? So you're just like, hey, I'm Nadia, and I have this, and I know how to manage this. But this yeah. is not who I am. Like I'm not ending the world by defining myself as a person that has exactly. bipolar
1: conditions, because otherwise I stay vulnerable. If I if I think like that, and I, <laughs> now it's my power because now I know how to help others with it by speaking out of what my experience is, and um, uh, reaching out to people who are diagnosed or at the moment and don't have any tools to recover and uh, if i would stay Mm. in the denial and in in the oh my god i have bipolar yeah then i stay vulnerable and i cannot help others and i cannot help myself
0: yeah absolutely and i think another interesting point that you mentioned about Mm. your culture our culture is um around fasting and that's how that's helped you obviously like yeah. we're in the month of ramadan right now and um uh, so can you just yeah. i thought that was just very interesting if you could share with your audience um, like, fasting well about
1: i am using medication when i'm hypomanic i use olanzapine. it's an antipsychotic medication and the side effects are really mm-hmm. terrible i'm really tired and but it also gives me really cravings to bad food like like really bad and Mm -hmm. um it gives you an how you call it an hungry feeling the whole time the whole day the side as a side Mm -hmm. effect Mm -hmm. so um well i'm a muslim and as you know we do ramadan and well because of my medication i could not do it and then i uh, when i had my relapse in 2015 so in 2016 i was not on my medication uh for a long time, so I started to do Ramadan, and I found out that fasting, well, when you're fasting, you are really uh, uh, ignoring your hungry feeling, so I thought, hmm, that's Mm. really a good way for when I'm on my medication to use as a tool, so what I use now is when I'm on my medication, I do inter-fasting, and I don't eat from for 16 hours and I eat from 12 afternoon till 8 at night. And um, Mm. yeah, that's why I'm still on the same weight as three years ago because a side effect is that you really get weight also because of the medication. And yeah, that's, yeah. and I didn't like, I didn't start Ramadan or fasting because I thought, oh, I can have a tool for my medication but it just turned out that i thought okay this is the mm. same feeling as i have when i'm on my medication so why does it uh, why can i do it when i'm on ramadan why do i have the discipline to fast the whole day but why can't i do it when i'm on my medication by interfasting so um mm. yeah that's 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 how i uh, discovered that it would be a good tool for me and
0: I thought, I just thought it was an interesting layer of like how culture, faith, all, we can like pull from Mm -hmm. so many different things to like help us on our healing journeys and be inspired by so many different things. Right. So uh, not just like medication or just not just like therapy. And we, um, we did an episode prior to this with Dr. Kemal Ibrahim, where he was talking about this, that like, we actually need to pull from many different parts to be able to help ourselves and heal. It's not just, we're not just tapping into like one thing, it can be medication, it can be therapy, it can be family support, it can be like faith-based like exactly. practices uh, and all of that coming together. Yeah, can really because I us. know
1: when I have a relapse, um, like in Holland, when you cannot work, uh, you can do volunteer work uh, to you know get used to be part of a society again. But I also found out that volunteer mm. work is for me a tool to be thankful again and be grateful mm. again when I'm depressed so I always uh, like after my relapse last year I also start to do volunteer work as a beginning before I work because then I get also structure in life again but the main thing is that I'm feeling thankful for my own life that I, I can see that I have it good because of helping others who are um yeah who are more in trouble like I am to say it like this. So
0: using gratitude as a practice
1: also yeah. to like anchor At that yourself, moment. And so I found important. volunteer work important mm-hmm. uh, to do also when you are stable. But at that moment, I can see it as uh, being grateful, yeah. Mm.
0: And what is like one myth about bipolar condition that you want to break? Uh, um, I... Like a misconception, something that bothers you that people like, a, maybe a concept that people have around.
1: Well, what it I think to have a bipolar th- that condition. people think that um, that it's a, that like when you are bipolar, you are um, how you call it um, that they think it's it's there the whole time, um, mm. and it's not. Like, they forget the atomic period, and that's the period that I'm stable, and I'm normal. <laughs> and people forget mm. that a lot, because when you say bipolar, people are shocked, like, oh my god, you are crazy, or you are... And they don't understand that it's it's not always that I have an episode or a period. Like, I am very stable because I have my tools, and I know how to live. Yeah. So you have like long periods of just living a normal
0: life like anybody else,
1: like essentially. Yeah. Like I was this three years, like from 2015. Well, yeah, 2015 I had my relapse and then 2017 I came up out of it. So the last three years I was stable. Yeah. And yes, of course I Mm. use my medication Mm. sometimes when I felt that I was getting hypomanic, but that's because I know I I can recognize Mm. my signals. So that's why I stay stable because I can, I know, okay, now I have to take my medication before it goes into that, before I go into that period. Mm. So you're not constantly on medication. So you
0: take it kind of strategically well, around when because you Because of my relapse inside. just
1: now, I made a decision to, because uh, the reason of my relapse was also that my medication didn't, did his work uh, anymore because that is, that is really a, I think that's also a mean thing of bipolar is that the medication struggle it's it's not really you don't have always the right medication sometimes you have to switch from other medication and like now I have to switch I'm gonna start a new medication uh for two years uh to look if it would help me because um like mm-hmm. my relapse was also my ambitions and my creativity it's it's these these two things are triggers which will always stay a trigger for me and um it's it's like i'm stable but it takes me a lot of energy to stay stable and a lot of time so that's why one of the reasons mm-hmm. is that i think i will take another medication and this is medication i have to take every day and i have to go to the hospital the first year for the for my blood uh checkup um but i think it's mm-hmm. it's there are a lot of people with a bipolar disorder who are stable without medication i think it's it's your life uh, how yeah. you uh, manage to live and to have structure in your life and yeah. and it's because of my ambitions and my creativity those triggers are too hard to live with for me so, i understand and it's, it sounds
0: like you're learning so much about yourself as well right? yeah in terms of, in this journey in terms of how Operate and mo- like you know what motivates you, like what drives you, and yeah, just like and I think it's necessary for everybody, for not just if you have yeah. bipolar condition, but just generally. Yeah, it's yeah,
1: just like and I think yourself. it's also positive. Like my diagnosis, that I I I learn a lot about myself on a young age, and um and and mm. and uh, I I know how to handle loneliness because I was in isolation cells for days, and um. Like social distancing mm. at the moment, it's a tool for me when I'm hypomanic. So yeah, for me, it's not really something difficult to do. Wow, uh, yeah. oh,
0: so that's potentially like a like a positive, something that's been positive about this experience that you've learned to like yeah. yourself more yeah. in
1: solitude. And I know and... how to handle fear. Yeah. I know, like, yeah. I know my boundaries. I know because I really have to learn to avoid triggers and incentives. So. For me, it was um, I know now how to have a happy life. So when I'm stable, I really enjoy life and I travel a lot and go to festivals with my friends. And, yeah, I really appreciate life Mm. much more than. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you kind of like I was going to ask
0: you a question was like how like if you just can give us like a top line Mm -hmm. answer, like, you know, how does how do you manage living with bipolar disorder? just to, to reiterate this for somebody that's listening that might need to hear this. And yeah. I know that it's like different for everybody, uh, but like, what are some of the things that you think are like, here are some of the things I, that will help anybody that's kind of I dealing the with the bipolar I think the most important condition. is
1: that you reach for help uh, in the sentence that you, you need mm-hmm. therapy. Um, like I need mm-hmm. therapy because of my, uh, uh, I, I need to self-reflect sometimes when I don't want to, <laughs> especially when I saw <laughs> so my therapist, you, you know, she's there with the mirror from, okay, but what, where does these thoughts come from and what's reality? Um, mm-hmm. Like with the bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. when you are manic, you can spend a lot of money, like a lot of money without uh, having control of it. So I have a mm-hmm. social worker who helps me with my administration, um I think that's okay. also important to have, and um I have a psychiatrist who mm-hmm. medication, so uh, it's important to have one just in case that you might have a relapse or you might uh need medication in time and, and a psychiatrist yeah that a can describe can the actually, medication um, because the psychologist cannot. d c doesn't have yeah. the how you call it the authority to do it and well i'm right yeah. myself i'm uh really spiritual, so I also have a high sensitive coach coach <laughs> where I go sometimes because mm-hmm. uh i like to do chakra meditation and uh um and healing myself uh by meditating and and he helps me to reach my yeah my my um high call it he 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 um like I, I believe that your body and your mind are one. So when I'm feeling like when I'm feeling mm. very, uh, when I have a lot of anxiety, I have to throw up a lot. So my stomach is really a mess. And like he helps me to get mm. the connection again, to be in balance with my emotion, be in balance with my body. Um, so that might help also to have a, if you are spiritual to have a high sensitive courage. And yeah,
0: It's something you have a lot of layers of support, you know. I think that's like the. Because I also have a job coach in my work
1: as a pharmacological. She helps me when I have trouble Mm. at work and I don't, and I'm too afraid to talk with my manager or or I have trouble with my concentration because of my medication. So it's really important that when when you are diagnosed with a bipolar disorder and you really don't know what it is and you don't want to talk with your family or with your friends because you are afraid then try to look at a uh, uh, mm. there are always organizations with volunteers uh who you can reach out to who have and they are how i call it they are trust persons they will never speak about any uh, with others about what you are telling them so if you don't have your family mm. or friends you can talk with or you don't have an, you don't have money to go to a psychologist because your yeah insurance doesn't cover it then know that there are always organizations or there are on facebook i'm in in groups with other people who are bipolar and um you can always reach out to others who are bipolar also
0: yeah so like find the support levels that are necessary whether they're in your family or outside of your family but that support on different levels like you're saying spirituality Mm -hmm. like medical and like Talk therapy, uh, volunteering, whatever it is—even mm. peers, people are going through the same thing. It's gonna yeah. be really, you really, really need, um, important. You
1: like, you just need help. You cannot do it alone because yeah, you can, but then you like, I, I'm. it's it, like it took me eight years, after to to look for help, and I think like mm. if I was there from the beginning, then I might be further in my life at the moment than I'm now. Yeah. 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 But you're I mean, you're doing a lot of uh,
0: great things, though, but I think you're making a good point for other people is to like seek out help yeah. sooner rather than later. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I know that, you Nadia you, you spend a lot of time on like helping others. And this is something mm-hmm. that I've noticed like through doing this podcast is that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people who have gone through their own kind of like mental health experiences find mm-hmm. healing through helping others right and it's to be a consistent theme so what is the motivation for you about spreading um, awareness well about mental I health? think
1: it started with my own frustration because I didn't get the help <laughs> and like uh, I found it in Holland the system is not yeah. really um, structured to know where you can find help and how you can mm-hmm. get help so that was for me the main reason to help others mm-hmm. that they uh they get the uh well that that was my main reason but um i'm i know that a lot of people who are diagnosed and live with bipolar are all experienced experts so i I then find out from okay what what is it what I want to tell with my story do I want to help others and then I thought well a lot of them already know how to live with it mm. and then I thought what I want to do is make awareness mm. with people who don't know what it is to because there is a lot of stigma still mm. and um and that's why I as a volunteer I give presentations uh to organizations to um I have dialogues with uh, with uh, companies who want to have more inclusion in their um company. But like I also uh organized less year events for uh young professionals with like all kinds of disabilities. So they can be blind, they can be deaf, but they can also have mental illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Because I think what I want to reach with my awareness is that it doesn't matter what kind of disability you have, you should see it as something that makes you vulnerable and you have to make your power of it. And I think that's the most important because either way you are mental ill or you are physical ill, uh, it doesn't matter because what matters is that you know how to deal with it and to live with it and
0: yeah absolutely and live your life right like that it shouldn't limit you from saying i don't belong here or, i can't do this but find your own way yeah of of and yeah. find
1: your power within it like hmm. uh because i i'm i know for myself i'm really frustrated sometimes because i think people don't understand it because like you if you look at me you would never say well I think that girl has fa- voices in her head, or um, because of my looks, and uh, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I sometimes get frustrated that people don't know how difficult it can be to live with a mental illness, and and like which choices I have to make in my life because of my illness, and and I think, uh, but I also think it's good to handle out of frustration because if I look at my articles, most of them are really written when I was angry, and yeah, and that's most of the time the good articles so yeah
0: yeah anger can be anger and frustration can be a really good catalyst actually you know because
1: it's yeah it pushes us but people have to stay positive because that's also a trigger with angry and frustration is that you get into the negative side Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 Mm -hmm. that's why i always write Mm -hmm. my articles when i'm angry but i never publish it at the moment (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah because that that's i think really hmm, okay approach, this actually. was a lot of green. maybe i have to rewind it again to stay into the positive side of it yeah yeah and i think that's the issue i think when it comes to
0: like mental health in general in terms of what you're saying is like that it's um you know a lot of us especially when we're dealing with cultural barriers mm-hmm. or whatever it is lack of resources um we walk around and you know seemingly appear normal like i'm making quotation signs in the air for anybody listening but like you know we we just get on with our lives and like we pretend to be like normal and we don't want to show people what we're going through and i think that's the difficulty is like with like physical illness like you said you break your leg you wear a cast but if you're going through with a anything yeah. like you know like i've had like anxiety and no. like depression is like nobody could see from the outside you know? But you are dealing with your own demons on the inside, and I think that's like one of the one of the challenges. And hopefully, conversation like this will help mm-hmm. all of us to feel more empowered, uh, to have more of these conversations, and to build bridges. And I feel like every time we have these conversations, we're taking that edge off the stigma. We're like reprogramming ourselves to be like, hey. This is equally important to talk about, you know, as we talk about hypertension yeah. or
1: diabetes or cancer or whatever. Exactly. It is, this is equally important. And it's Exactly. And, to and work, ask yourself the you question, know? why is it so hard for you to be open about it? What does it make you feel ashamed? Because mm-hmm. I really don't care anymore what other people mm-hmm. think of me. And I was always as a young child, I was also like that. Like, I really don't care if if at that moment I have to speak out of my uh, barriers which I have because of my bipolar disorder, yeah, then it is. And then, yeah, you can understand it or you don't, I really don't care. Mm. It is for myself, and that's something you really have to um, keep in mind when you are diagnosed. You do everything for yourself, and you own it yourself to do it. So, yeah. And it's so
0: important that you are taking space. I love that. You're taking space. You're saying, I belong here, you know, like, and like you said, yeah. the part of me. It's not who I am. And I think kind of part of the community healing that we need. And like, educate, we need the education, but we also need the community healing. We need to see people, you know, that mm-hmm. are like out there and like sharing and just normalizing it, you know. I think that's such a huge part of our like, you know, uh, like I said, our community healing. And uh, you're doing tons of stuff. You're a volunteer with like refugees. You are working with, uh, you know, normalizing and creating awareness around all types of disabilities. You are currently, you can't currently have yes. a writing. And project. at the moment, this month, doing I'm so also during the month
1: of May, I'm also ambassador for a foundation um, who has a house in Uganda for children with a mental and physical disability. And, um, yeah, I started a fundraise wow. last week, and I, um, I, I'm i doing it also with Selena, and uh, it's more a social ambassador at this moment because of the corona pandemic. But, yeah, yeah. I found it important yeah. to help each other, and uh, I think connecting is really important. Yeah. It's beautiful.
0: I think you were going to be a, and we're going to share. Mm -hmm. We're going to share all of your links to sort of your projects and what you're working on. And um, uh, you have a very interesting, I think, social media account called Bi Poetry as well, where you kind of turn some of your reflections on your condition into art, into poetry. So I think like you've, and that's just one of the things that you're doing. But you found some really cool ways of like,
1: yeah, and that's maybe also a main thing uh, when you are diagnosed with bipolar if you cannot speak about it because it's too hard for you to speak open about it, write it down because writing is really healing. And Mm -hmm. uh, like my poems, I write Mm -hmm. them when I was young also, and I just discovered it now that I found them. Like I always write poems Mm -hmm. personal. And then I thought, okay, why don't I share it with the world? Because maybe another one who reads it thinks, oh yeah, that's, yeah.
0: I think that's beautiful. And we're going to link to all of your resources in the show notes. Um, Mm And so I have like, um, (laughs) I I would want to ask you like tons of questions, but taking some time. So I'm going to ask you one last question. What advice would you give somebody that is going through um, a tough time with their mental health? Maybe they're resisting a diagnosis or maybe they're getting like pushback from their family. Like what advice would you give them? Well,
1: if you just diagnose at the moment, um, I would say to you, it's only a diagnose. You know, it's only a label they give you like, okay, you're bipolar. So what you do then is look at the signals. What is your vulnerability and don't do anything Further with it, uh, go search. Like you can watch a documentary about manic depressive just to get to know what it is. But uh, the first thing you have to do is search for help, and um, so you can work on living with it. Because if you don't know what it is, you yeah, you need help from others to get to know yourself and get to know the diagnosis itself, um, so that you can so that you can learned that it is a part of you. And I think I want to let this person know that you are not weak for seeking help uh, because you are the most important people. Yeah, you are the most important that's in the world. And you, I think you owe yourself to work on yourself to be the best version of yourself. And there is a reason that this happened to you. And yeah, you can might ask yourself what the reason is or you can learn from it and, um that's the choice you have to make for yourself because you are responsible for your own life. And I think your family, like if you are getting pushback from family, I think you just need to know everything needs time and that your family will always love you for who you are. That's what I think. I think like even though maybe at the moment your family doesn't uh, want to support you or they don't know how to support you, then know that you have to have patience and you have to have time. And I think it's important to speak openly about it because like you also said, nobody can see what's inside your head. Nobody can understand what the mess is in your head if you don't speak about it. And I can guarantee you because Mm. I did it and it set me free and um, it also gave me power. Um, And it, yeah, I know myself now and I know how my bipolar this yeah condition. It's now, it's not something I hate anymore. It's something who made me who I am today. And that's a powerful woman. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think that's the most important. Thank you so much for that. I think I
0: definitely, um, I think that you're a very powerful woman you're uh showing a lot of leadership and i think a lot of love and heart for people you know in terms of because it's not easy to put yourself out there you know and because you're not just putting yourself you're putting your family out there like but you're doing it to help heal other people and i think this is going to give a lot of people permission to kind of look inside and be and and assess themselves and see, hey where am i whether it's like related mm-hmm. to their, what they're experiencing them, themselves with their own mental health, something that they're noticing with like a family member. That's like, maybe um, there's something there that needs to be looked into, for instance, and understanding, okay, like how, how can we help each other? So I think you're giving a lot of people permission to look yeah. into these things by showing up for conversations yes. like this.
1: And thank so you.
0: Really for thank you, Nadia. Asking
1: me for this um, podcast.
0: <laughs> Of course. And um, do you have just any last words from you for our audience Um, and this conversation with?
1: Well, I always say to myself, when I'm outside, smile to others, because um, if you give a smile to a stranger, you might help someone through a hard day. Because I know when I'm really sad and I walk outside and somebody Mm. like most of the time, the older people smile and uh, yeah, it's not the young people anymore, yeah. no. But it it helps when when you from someone. And in my um, I call it. My opinion, it's also the prophet, uh, may he rest in peace, who said, mm. smiling to someone is also charity. So yeah, then mm-hmm. it's something very simple, but you can yeah. make someone's day make a turn into a good day.
0: I think that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Thank you for that. And in terms of like, where can people follow your work mm-hmm. online?
1: Like, well, I have LinkedIn for my articles, um, but it's in Dutch. <laughs> I need to, because uh, I just turned to English <laughs> on my, uh, how you call it? My Instagram. And that is by poetry. And then how you call it? The low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two times. So um, Underscore, that's in English. Yeah. And. Um, okay that's it yeah and down to dance down on the square to on the square dance you can feel you can see the the dance movies i made with selena and yeah some funny movies we made and like she loves to do her hair and she's a model now since a few months so we like to model also so yeah amazing so we'll definitely
0: include these links in the show notes um and maybe um in the future we'll share more of the yes. I know that you're working on a lot of stuff we'll share that with our audience as well when you're ready so I just wanted to say thank you so much for no being here today you're really showing us what courage looks like what bravery looks like. you're helping us like bust mm-hmm. myths around like mental health diagnoses and also like really take a look at shame and what that means and kind of kind of realizing that we don't we don't we don't need to hold on to shame we need to like really embrace our uh, well-being and wellness as a community and I think uh, because of this conversation a lot of mm, people will feel seen so, yeah. which I think is very very important mm. and good yeah so thank you very much and for everybody that's tuning into this episode thank you so much for listening We really appreciate you. Please, let's continue this conversation. You can help by sharing this with a loved one or a family member. And uh, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. That would really help us. So thank you, Nadia. I wish you a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much. Be well. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Airy Wellbeing podcast. Follow us on Instagram and sign up to our monthly newsletter. Links are in the show notes. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. Please subscribe, rate and review our podcast so that we can keep spreading the word about mental health and well-being in our communities together. Until next time, be be well.